Hello, 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 and everybody, welcome to this Friday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. And this show could be a very, very, very bad idea. And I will tell you why. I will tell you why. So it is right now 10.50 at night on this beautiful Thursday. Well, I guess it's Friday, but Thursday for me right now of the Logan Blackman Show. And I was just upstairs with my family. We watched Pitt versus North Carolina. And then we watched somewhat of the Ravens versus Dolphins game, whatever you want to call it. If you want to call that a game, that's perfectly fine as well. But as I was coming downstairs, so my my studio, if you can call it that, is in my bedroom. All right, so will when it's in your bedroom, you can just record a show pretty much and just go straight to bed when you're recording at night. But what you do also before you go to night is take some sort of medicine. At least some people do. If you're not. I'm not sick, by any stretch of the imagination, I'm not sick, but I need to sleep a little bit more. But when your brain goes, Logan, you need to record a show because you've got something big to tell the audience today. But then your, your body goes, Logan, no, we need to go to freaking bed. So you know what you do? You say, screw you, body, not only am I recording a show at 10.50 at night, I am also going to take 30 milliliters of NyQuil to try and battle it because I don't want to go back upstairs to get it later. That is the dumbest logic that I could possibly come up with. But you know what? That's the logic we're working with on this Friday edition of Logan Blackman Show. I'm hoping and praying that this episode is somewhere in the range of a half hour. I know it won't be. I know it won't be. Because I've said this about a thousand times while recording the Logan Blackman Show. Oh, Logan, we want to do a uh, half hour to 40 minute episode today. Logan, you ramble too much. Like, th- this little bit we're doing right now has been almost two minutes, and we're just talking about me taking NyQuil and doing a late show. That's how dumb this show can be sometimes. But that's why it's the Logan Blackman Show. And while we're talking about the Logan Blackman Show, make sure you are following me on all forms of social media, Twitter, Instagram, go and like the Facebook page, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and since you're listening to it right now, go and make sure you're following the Apple Podcast and Spotify account and leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, I would greatly appreciate it. Let's try to make this thing freaking massive. But you also got to help and follow me on social media. Twitter is Logan underscore Blackman. Instagram is Blackman Logan, and the show's Twitter Instagram account is the Logan Blackman Show One. Logan Blackman Show One says TLBS in the name, so click the follow button on there. And we have posts on there at least once a week. Okay, at least once a week because we got to update the blog posts that we do because we do the top ten quarterback rankings for the past week so this past one we just released week 10 quarterback rankings and this week for college football we said on Wednesday that instead of watching the Ravens versus Dolphins Thursday night football game which I hope you did this by the way if you did not you were probably bored off your gourd watching this game but watch the Pitt North Carolina game I said screw Thursday night football screw the Ravens screw the Dolphins even though I love Lamar Jackson, screw them for tonight because we're watching Pitt versus North Carolina, another matchup of two top 10 quarterbacks. We had Malik Willis take on Matt Corral. We had Sam Howell taking on Sam Hartman from Wake Forest. We've had a lot of really fun matchups this season. And now we have the two top quarterbacks in the ACC, Sam Howell and from North Carolina and Kenny Pickett from Pitt battling out my third and sixth ranked quarterback in the Week 10 quarterback prospect rankings. And Kenny Pickett came out on top 30-23. to 23. Pitt did try, though, to give North Carolina the win. They tried their damnedest. 
because the game was 23-7 in the fourth quarter and North Carolina brought it back thanks in, thanks in no small part to a really, really bad Kenny Pickett interception when the score was 23-20. That wasn't great. North Carolina had the ball at the two-yard line then. Because Kenny Pickett threw it on like their first or second play after North Carolina just scored thanks to Sam Howell's rushing ability, running ability. And then they get down to the two-yard line and they have a string of penalties and they're forced to settle for a field goal. Which leads to overtime. And then Kenny Pickett and Pitt, Kenny Pickett throws a touchdown pass in overtime. And then the rain just downpoured. It was raining throughout most of the second half. And then once the once the second part of overtime hit where North Carolina took the ball, it looked like the football gods were like, we're in favor, we're in Pittsburgh today. Pitt is playing at home. The football gods, we shall be in favor of Kenny Pickett and the Pitt Panthers. And it just monsooned. For those four plays North Carolina had in overtime, it was like flooding. That grass field was close to flooding tonight. With how much rain was coming in. And obviously, as we said, Pitt wins the game 30-23. to Sam Howell played hard. Didn't have 90 yards rushing. This is the, he Remember what we said Wednesday. He had four consecutive games of at least 90 rushing yards. This game, he had 28. Guy hit, jeez, hit a lot in this game. 17 carries, threw, bat, threw the ball 33 times, had 296 yards passing, two touchdowns, one pick. Pitt and Kenny Pickett did not complete, jeez, sorry. We had dinner before, and it was a really garlicky Italian dinner, so if I burp a lot during the episode, I apologize. I truly apologize. But Kenny Pickett didn't complete a high percentage of his passes, at least what you would expect, but still got 346 yards, three touchdowns, and an ugly interception that we talked about earlier. Sam Howell's interception was the last play of the game. It was 4th and 11, I believe it was. He rolled out to his left. No one was there and kind of just hucked it up for a prayer. I mean, they weren't going to complete a high percentage ball anyways with how much rain was coming down, and he got picked off. So you really can't say anything about his interception. And he got rocked at the end. He got rocked pretty freaking hard at the end of the game, and he was rolling down on the ground for a little bit. They never showed it because they were running late anyways because it was, you know, a Thursday night football game. They have other programs to run, like Sports Center, late Sports Center with Scott Manpelt. So they just really randomly just cut to that. Right after the game was over, they were just like, oh yeah, Scott Van Pelt, your turn to shine now. Because you know what? The announcers for the Pitt North Carolina game were not really shining. It was pretty rough to listen to, but it didn't matter because Pitt and Kenny Pickett couldn't hear it. And they ended up winning the game 30 to 23. So congratulations. To Kenny Pickett and the Pitt Panthers winning the game in the monsoon that was Pittsburgh tonight. I bet they play in Heinz Field. For those of you who are unaware, the Pitt Panthers play in Heinz Field, which is the home of the Pittsburgh Steelers. I would bet there was about twenty to 25,000 people there. That is not a lot compared to the size of Heinz Field. Heinz Field is about sixty-five to 70,000 seats. That is not a lot. Now, I don't know if it had something to do with the weather. It's Pittsburgh, probably windy, and then the rain coupled on with that. There's probably a few students were sitting there like, yeah, let's not go to this game. Because there was not a lot of people there, to be 100% honest, but it didn't matter. Pitt won the game regardless. But yeah, good showing from Pitt. Get a dub. Good North Carolina team coming off a big win against ninth, formerly ninth-ranked Wake Forest Demon Deacons. Big time. Got the dub. Reproved 8-2 on the season. You're ranked 21st. Inspect to move up in the next ranks. You play Virginia and Syracuse at the end of the season. Virginia, as we've talked about numerous times on the show, is very one-dimensional, and that one dimension is just all Brennan Armstrong. That's pretty much it. 
And then Syracuse is a tough team. They're not like someone you're going to go, ooh, shiver me timbers, it's going to be a very rough game. You wouldn't think that anyways. But Syracuse plays tough. They're a very hard team to be- break down. They're 5-4 and four in the season. They're very tough to play in the Carrier Dome. They played tough against Clemson, which I know is not saying a whole lot, but they beat Virginia Tech. They beat Boston College. They beat Liberty and Malik Willis like we talked about a few weeks ago. They're a tough team. Every game they've played this year, apart from one, like the games they've lost, has been decided by one score. They lost by three to Florida State, three to Wake Forest, and three to Clemson. And they lost by 10 to Rutgers. They're going to be tough. And they're into the season at NC State at Pitt. I would not be shocked. I'm not saying it will happen. But I would not be shocked if Syracuse pulled a huge-ass surprising upset against NC State. These are two very evenly matched teams, NC State and Syracuse. Even though the records are completely different, 5-4 and four versus 7-2, and two, NC State ranked 16th in the latest college football playoffs bowl. But they're even. Syracuse defense is really good. They got a really good running quarterback. They're a fun team. They're a really fun team. Tucker's already got over 1,000 yards, over 1,200 rushing yards on the season. That could be fun. Pitt-Syracuse. Watch out for that game. It'll be fun. Virginia versus Pitt will just be a high-scoring game. That'd be probably 50-something to 40-something, if I'm being honest. That Virginia's all offense, no defense. Pitt doesn't have an insane defense, but better than Virginia's, which isn't really saying a lot. But yeah, some other games we got going on this weekend. We got Cincinnati taking on South Florida. That should be a relatively easy one for Cincinnati, at least what you would expect from the Bearcats. But these past few weeks, as we talked about recently, have been trying, to say the least. They've been a lot lot tougher than what one would suspect with how good Cincinnati was up until that point, playing some terrible teams like Tulane, like Navy, like Tulsa, teams they should brush past without any real issue, and yet they struggled mightily against them. So this is a game that you would expect Cincinnati to have fun with and win fairly easily, but based off recent history, this might be a little harder than what we're expecting. But South Florida's defense... Ass. Like, ass, ass. They give up over 200 yards passing, 200 yards rushing. They give up 485 yards a game on defense and only averaged 361 yards per game. They got blown out by East Carolina. I hope Cincinnati shows up this week. I really hope they show up. Because if they don't and lose to South Florida, at least play this close, the people that don't want them in the playoff are going to get their wish because you cannot be struggling with teams like this and try to be a playoff team. This is coming from a perspective of somebody that would not want to see Cincinnati in. I personally would love to see Cincinnati in the college football playoff. I want to see Desmond Ritter play against some of the top teams in college football. Their defense go up against some of the top teams in college football. It'd be a fun spectacle to see a team like Cincinnati break in to the college football playoff, which has been a thing that we've seen Ohio State, Oklahoma, Alabama, and Clemson run ragged in over the past, what, three, four, five years? Apart from the random Washington and Oregons that were in there. Like, (laughs) we want to see something different. Now, I know Clemson's ass, and Oklahoma probably won't make it. I think they're ranked sixth. I could be wrong about that, but I believe they're ranked sixth. But Georgia's in there now, so that's different. Oregon's in there. Ohio State's in there. Alabama, of course, is in there. But Clemson's not, and Oklahoma's not right now. So maybe a team like Cincinnati could break that. I'd be very down to see that. I'd be very down to see that. Then we got Saturday action. We got... Some, you know, fame, world famous, I would say, SEC bye week game, which isn't really a bye week, but it is, in a sense. Alabama's playing Mexico State. 
Alabama is a 51-point favorite over a 1-8 New Mexico State team. I'll leave it at that. Then we got Michigan at Penn State, which could be fun. Oregon, Baylor, Mississippi State, Auburn, Northwestern, Wisconsin, Utah and Arizona, Georgia, Tennessee could be a really fun matchup. I know Georgia's fair by 20 will probably win, but Hendon Hooker, fun quarterback to watch. Really fun quarterback to watch. I would very much recommend if you do watch a game, I mean, it's the number one team in the nation, so you're probably going to want to tune in that game anyways, but ever since Hendon Hooker has been the starter at Tennessee, this is a team that you'd want to watch. They're a very high-powered offense. Joe Milton versus Hendon Hooker at quarterback for Tennessee is like night and day difference here. The offense is alive and well with Hendon Hooker, where it was struggling and barely looked alive with Joel Milton as the starting quarterback for them. They got Purdue versus Ohio State, Southern Miss versus UTSA down in the top 25, Maryland, Michigan State, Texas A&M, Ole Miss, which could be very fun, Notre Dame in Virginia, Wake Forest in NC State could be a very interesting one, two top 17 teams from the ACC, Arkansas LSU, which is a really underrated rivalry game. Then we got TCU Oklahoma, Washington State, Oregon, and Nevada, and San Diego State, which is a game if you want to stay up late and want to watch that game, I would recommend you do. You get to watch Carson Strong in Nevada with all the weapons they have, Romeo Dubs and Cole Turner, their tight end and wide receiver duo, versus a really good defense in San Diego State. I would recommend watching that one. Now, if you want to watch some frustrating-ass football on Saturday I waited to do this game last for a reason. It's Iowa and Minnesota. Now, Alex Padilla is starting for Iowa this Saturday. Okay? And like we talked about on Wednesday, do I necessarily buy the shoulder thing? Not really. Because my mind, when I looked at the, heard the injury thing of the Spencer Peters getting his shoulder hurt, which has apparently been a thing forever, but now it just happened to be so bad that now we had to pull. We couldn't do it last week or against Wisconsin or against Purdue. No, it got bad this game. If it's been that bad, why was he playing at all? And if it was that bad, why did you not take his shoulder pads off? Why did he not go to the locker room? Why did right after he got injured or pulled that he just threw a cap on? If he was hurt that bad, he wouldn't be just standing on the sideline with his shoulder pads on. Now, I understand that Deuce Hogan is the backup for this week as well. The quarterback that we talked about a little bit on Wednesday about Iowa fans hyping him up to the nth degree ever since he committed to Iowa. But man, Spencer Petras, again, has been bad. Like, very bad. And I understand that it's not all his fault, okay? I know we've bashed him quite a bit on this show, but again... He's been terrible. I know Brian Ferentz is ass, and no one likes Brian Ferentz. I don't even know if Kirk likes him. Will Kirk fire his own son? I don't know. It'd be a really hard thing to do, but you know what? For the betterment of everybody, do it. <laughs> fire his ass. I don't trust Gary Barta to do it. We can't even trust him to do a college football playoff thing right. Why he's in charge of that, I have no idea. That's a whole other segment for another time. But is Peters hurt? I don't know. I don't really think he is. I think this is just a way for Ferentz to protect Spencer Peters. But what I wouldn't be surprised to happen, because again, we brought this up on Wednesday, of when Jake Rudock and C.J. Beathard were battling out for the starting job. People didn't like Rudock. And Rudock was nowhere as bad as Spencer Peters has been. And then Rudock gets hurt, mysteriously. And then C.J. Beathard starts against Purdue the very next week, plays well, but then the next week we see Jake Rudock back in the starting lineup. And now we've got a similar situation here where Petrus is mysteriously hurt and now Padilla's in and now Padilla's going to start against Minnesota 
And then will we see Spencer Petras back next week? Against who? Illinois? Will that happen? Based off the history of Iowa football, I would not put it past them whatsoever. It took them like four games to finally bench Jake Christensen for Ricky Stanzi. That is four games too long. Jake Christensen started an entire season before that, went 6-6 six and six and lost to Western Michigan. And then they rotated him and Stanzi for the first four games of the season against, uh, I don't remember the first game was, but against Iowa State and Pitt. So there's three games in there, because I know Jake Christensen started against Pitt. Stanzi started against Iowa State, and I think Christensen started the first game. I don't remember who it was against. But I remember the Pitt game because it was at Pitt. It was at Pittsburgh. It was Sean Green's year, 2008-2009. I can't remember who they played those the first game, but Stanzi started after those games because Iowa lost to Pittsburgh, I think, 27-24. to It was in the 20s. I don't remember exactly. I'm trying to go off, <laughs> trying to go off memory here, but I don't know. But that's what this is kind of feeling like. And I saw, I, well, I didn't see it. I heard it on the radio. It was on Murphy and Andy show, which is a show around in the Des Moines area. If you are unaware of what that show is, a sports talk show. And they went over some snippets of Kirk Ferentz's show. And I guess some fan asked him, would we see a two-quarterback system thing here? Which never works. Do not do that. Do not rotate quarterbacks every other drive. That does not work. I know there's odd scenarios that it happens. There's odd scenarios for everything. But that's the reason they're odd scenarios, because they don't happen too often. These are two quarterbacks that we don't... <laughs> one we know is not very good. The other one... We don't know if he's good or not. We just know that he's not Spencer Petras, so we automatically like this guy, which is the dichotomy of Iowa fans, if that's the right way of using that. Like, you love the backup so much, but you don't actually know if he's any good. I sat in Kinnick Stadium and watched Iowa fans boo Drew Tate, who was a top three quarterback in Iowa history, for Jake Christensen. We didn't care who the backup was or how good Jake Christensen was. Drew Tate just wasn't playing good at the time. I saw Iowa fans cry for James Vandenberg to start for Iowa above Ricky Stanzi after he just threw five interceptions against Ohio State. Sure, they went to overtime. But do you think Stanzi's in that game? They lose to Ohio State? No, because he doesn't throw five interceptions in the game. That's the whole thing with Iowa people. Iowa fans in general, we they don't like quarterbacks. It's always hurt me as a kid growing up. It's like, man, how do you guys hate these guys? And I've always defended Iowa quarterbacks, apart from the last two. I did not like Nate Stanley at all. We've talked about that a lot. He bothered me. I always thought he was really overrated. I know he has good numbers in the history of Iowa. That dude is so frustrating. And no surprises, the guy that learned from him is as frustrating and more frustrating than him. Like, he can't go back to Petras. I don't care if he's actually hurt or if it's just a saving thing. Personally, again, I think it's just saving Petrus's confidence. But, I want to see Padilla in. And I hope Padilla does well, because this is a game Iowa should win. Realistically, regardless of their records, Iowa should never lose to Minnesota. Never. Never, ever, ever should Iowa lose to Minnesota. I know it's a rivalry game, but they should not lose this team. It's like Texas should never lose to Iowa State. It doesn't matter how good Iowa State or Texas are. With how many good players Texas can recruit, they should never lose to Iowa State, let alone finish below Iowa State in the Big 12 Conference. And that's not a bash on Iowa State. I know it kind of sounds like that. It's a bash on Texas more than anything, and I think most Iowa State fans would agree with that. 
They just posted a thing on social media the other day that Matt Campbell is 40% of all of Iowa State's Big 12 wins. That is ridiculous. That is terrible. That's great for Matt Campbell. Matt Campbell's been a, done miracles at Iowa State. But he has 40% of the wins. That's how bad they've been. And they're beating Texas by 23 points or whatever the game was. I think it was 30-7. to seven. That shouldn't happen. And I think Iowa State fans would agree on that. It's awesome that they beat Texas because I think everybody hates Texas. I love that Iowa State fans, to a certain extent, are super petty because of the fact they play Texas and probably 80,000 horns down in that stadium. I know there's 60,000 seats in that stadium, but I'm guessing about 20,000 were Texas fans. So you got 40,000 Iowa State fans adding two hands to that. So both horns down, that's 80,000 fans. For those of you who are trying to figure out how I got 80,000 out there. I had 20,000 feels like a lot, but Texas probably travels well. I've never been to a game with Texas. I've been to a game with Texas A&M. We've ta- I think we've talked about that game before. Where I went to an Iowa State game with te- against Texas A&M with Ryan Tannehill as a wide receiver. Gerard Johnson at quarterback. But yeah, Iowa should never lose to Minnesota. That was like a few years ago when they stormed the field after beating Minnesota. I was really confused. Even though Minnesota was undefeated, Iowa shouldn't lose to Minnesota. They shouldn't. And I'm all for storming the field because it's it's a fun thing. I want to have the college students have some fun. But it should, it shouldn't, it's not a surprise you beat Minnesota, even if they were undefeated. You should always beat them. Always. Now, you got games like Wisconsin that can be a little tougher in regards to rivalry games. But Minnesota should never be, <laughs> beat Iowa, especially this year, without bad Minnesota just beat, lost to Illinois. How wishy-washy they've been this season. I know they're 6-3 and three right now, but they, they lost to Bowling Green in Illinois. The other loss to Ohio State. I, how, how the hell does that happen? They've lost two of their starting running backs this year. Mohamed Ibrahim at the first game, Taylor Potts like three weeks into the season. Like, look, this is on ESPN. I didn't even notice this earlier. Iowa's going for seven in a row against Floyd, against Minnesota for the Florida Rosedale. They're at six in a row right now against Iowa State, seven going for seven against Minnesota, and I think are at five or six against Nebraska. These are teams Iowa should never lose to, and they have done that recently. And I hope Alex Padilla is as good as what we're hoping he is. There's every chance he's not, because there could be the scenario where Brian Ferentz just handicaps him so much that he's as bad as Petrus, but that'd be pretty hard to do. Like, I've gotten Jake Christensen vibes from one quarterback, and that's Jake, That's well, Jake Christensen, and Spencer Petras. He's bad. Brian Ferentz is bad. Spencer Petras is bad. He's happy feet all the time. His feet are moving 1,000 miles an hour. He never sets his feet down when he throws a football. He's moving all the time. He doesn't feel look comfortable in the pocket whatsoever. He checks down more than anybody I've seen in a very long time. You have Tyrone Tracy and Keegan Johnson. Why are they not getting the ball more? This doesn't make any sense. You can say it's Brian Ferentz, but on the field, he can throw these guys. I know it might not be the read that he's looking for, but get the ball in their hands. I hope Padilla does good. I hope Padilla does good. And for how bad Petrus is, you could make an argument he's better than Tanner Morgan. You could do it. You could do it. It's, that's how bad the Big Ten is at quarterback right now. We talked about that on Wednesday, how every good quarterback in the Big Ten is in the, in the East. I almost said West. Definitely not in the West. Like, 
ugh. <laughs> it's pretty bad over here on the west side of the Big Ten for the quarterbacks and the teams in general because whoever wins the Big Ten West is just going to get ass-pounded by either Ohio State, Michigan, or Michigan State. It destroyed. It'll be a miserable affair. But, yeah, I, I fully expect Iowa to win this game. They're favored by five. They should win. I know they struggled against Northwestern. I know they got ass-pounded by Minnesota and Purdue. They should beat Minnesota. They should not lose to Minnesota. And the more I say that, the more I feel like, oh, they're going to lose to Minnesota, aren't they? It's like, oh, the more I keep trying to, it sounds like I'm trying to convince myself they can't lose to Minnesota, but they probably will. I've seen some garbage football recently from the Iowa Hawkeyes. So anything, I guess, is possible. (laughs) Any games around college football, you should probably tune in. And Wyoming versus Boise State could be a fun one. That's on FS1 Friday night. At 8 p.m. if you want to watch that game. That could be a pretty decently fun matchup there. Any games outside of the top 25 you should really care about? Army Bucknell could be kind of fun. Uh, oh, UCF versus SMU could be kind of fun. That's on ESPNU at 11 if you want to watch the early game. West Virginia-Kansas State could be a decently fun matchup. Maine versus UMass at 11. Not on any TV anywhere. Oh, this one is recent. Well, I, well, I know it's recent. I'm talking about the... The situation of surrounding this team, I guess. UConn-Clemson is on Saturday. That is on ACC Network at 11. Clemson's 41-point favorites. Jim Mora is coming in to be the head coach at UConn. Good freaking God. He is coming into UConn? Huh? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Jim Mora to UConn. How desperate is dude to coach and how desperate, how much did they pay Jim Moore to go to UConn? That's a hellhole. Good God. They got Florida versus Samford. You know what? I wouldn't be surprised if Samford won. <laughs> just, just putting it out there with how weird Florida has been this season. Wouldn't put it past them whatsoever. Any other games you should really turn your eyes to this week from outside of the top 25? Miami-Florida State's always a fun rivalry game, even though both teams kind of suck ass, but it's a it's a fun rivalry game. Fun rivalry game. Boston College-Georgia Tech could be fun. Iowa State-Texas Tech. Iowa State's favored by 10.5. Texas Tech, been a weird team. Weird, weird team this year. Like, very odd. <laughs> and unsurprisingly, their offense is good. Defense sucks, though. Iowa State should have no problems against Texas Tech. Even though it's on the road, they should have no problems against Texas Tech on Saturday. Any other ones? Tulsa, Tulane, teams that took Nate, uh, almost took Cincinnati the sword. 14 to 12 at halftime game. Because those, these two teams both had 14 to 12, <laughs> were down 14 to 12 at halftime against, UC, uh, against Cincinnati. Good God. Kentucky, Vanderbilt, <laughs> Arizona State, Washington. That one's interesting. We kind of talked about that one on Wednesday when we're going through the quarterback ranking thing. With Jaden Daniels at Arizona State, they're going up against the number one pass defense in college football. Trent McDuffie is one of the best cornerbacks in college football, and now he's going up against one of the better quarterbacks. Even though he's having a down year statistically, Jaden Daniels is still really freaking good. He just needs to get some sort of rhythm going. I know this is weird because it's super late in the season. We are at game 10, so I really shouldn't be saying that he needs to get in a rhythm at some point in the season. He should have already been in it. But I would, be, I would totally expect Arizona to run the ball this game. Jaden Daniels might have over 100 yards rushing in this game. Might. I would bet, if I had to bet, I would say like over under 75 yards. I bet he'd have over 75 yards. Or seven. Let's go 70. Let's go 70. Over 70 yards for Jaden Daniels on Saturday. 
is my gut feeling around that. Anything else? Texas, Kansas? <laughs> Colorado, UCLA. Dorian Thompson-Robinson, I hope he's back because UCLA is fun to watch when Dorian Thompson-Robinson's playing. And USC Cal, I guess. That, oh, it's postponed. I forgot that Cal had a bunch of COVID uh, COVID positives. I think it was COVID. It was Cincinnati. It was one of the teams. I don't remember which one exactly, but that, that game's done. That game got postponed. But there's some fun games this weekend around the world of college football. And there's some fun games going around in the world of NFL right now. And there's some big news going around the world in the NFL. We got Odell Beckham going to the Rams, and then Cam Newton going to the, back to the freaking Panthers. What? What year is this? Like, Cam Newton's going back to the Panthers to pro... Well, he's not going to be there this week, obviously. He just signed with the team today, so he's not going to be able to start on Sunday. So we got P.J. Walker and Matt Barkley going for the Panthers job. I mean, P.J. Walker's starting, but Matt Barkley's going to be the backup on Sunday for the Carolina Panthers. But Cam Newton... Bringing him back from the depths, pretty much. <laughs> I don't know when he does play, if he'll play, how much he'll play. Because I know, we all know that Cam Newton on his day is better than both Sam Darnold and P.J. Walker. As much as I love P.J. Walker, Cam Newton is better than P.J. Walker. I will I will admit that. I will admit that. On his day, last year, could P.J. Walker have done what Cam Newton did with the Patriots last year? Probably. <laughs> Uh, I know, yeah, he did not have a great year last year with the Patriots, but you know what? He had a great year with Christian McCaffrey there as a running back. Christian McCaffrey's slowly getting back to health. Could be nice. And as far as Odell Beckham goes, everything that I saw on Wednesday after we recorded the show was Packers, Patriots, and Seahawks. And Saints. Those are the teams. Those are the four teams you were really seeing. Packers, Patriots, Seahawks, and Saints. That was it. Never saw the Rams anywhere. At least that's me. I know, I just did not see them anywhere. Could be wrong. Could have been just completely blind. Never even noticed it or something. Just completely missed it. I never saw the Rams. And then all of a sudden I saw a thing that was like, Jalen Ramsey retweeted his own tweet when he said, I'm in a mood or mood or something like that right before they trade for Von Miller. And he said, you know what? I'm feeling like it again or something along those lines. And it was like, is he feeling something there? I was like, yeah. I don't know. Is he? And then later, about 15 minutes, it's announced that Odell Beckham signs with the Rams. And this was said on Monday Night Football tonight. Uh, the Rams are going for it. Yeah, I'm sorry again. I'm, I've got the rumblies. So if you're hearing me belch a little bit, I apologize for that. It's natural, though. We're not cutting it out. It's natural. We want you to know that I'm a person, too. I can do gross things like that. But they're going for it. Trade for Matthew Stafford. Trade for Vaughn Miller. And sign OBJ off free agency. Now, Odell Beckham Jr. has not been good for like three years. He's been hurt a lot over this time. He's had a lot of drama over the past three years as well. The upgrade quarterback? Yes. The upgrade coach? Yes. But is he the number one guy anymore? No. <laughs> that is surely Cooper Cup. Over 1,000 yards receiving and 10 touchdowns this year. Robert Woods. Very good as well. Van Jefferson, nice receiver. Now, do I think Odell Beckham will be the wide receiver three? Yeah, he might be the wide receiver two. I don't know when he'll play for the Rams. We did not see Von Miller in action this week. I guess he, had, I think he had some sort of injury. But man, OBJ to the Rams. And I saw this the other day. It was Randy Moss talking about this. It's like, 
OBJ and Randy Moss kind of had similar career trajectories here. We had Star early on. Odell Beckham Jr. went off his first three or four years in the NFL. And then he goes to a team. Randy Moss's was the Raiders. Odell Beckham's was the Browns. And big things were expected there. And then it, it wasn't anymore. And then it was like, oh, well, man, he can't really play anymore. Is he really that good anymore? And then he goes to a new team. For Randy Moss, was the Patriots. Odell Beckham is the Rams. Now, there's something a little different in regards to the Randy Moss situation versus the Odell Beckham Jr. situation. Now, the most obvious one is <laughs> Tom Brady's better than Matthew Stafford. But number two, there a, was a lot less competition for catches on the Patriots than there is for the LA Rams right now. Because even outside of wide receiver, you got Tyler Higby there as well. Darnell Henderson, Daryl Henderson, the running back. You've got running game. Patriots didn't have a running game. That I can remember, was it Ben Jarvis Green-Ellis was the running back when Randy Moss was there? Lawrence Maroney? There wasn't really a lot of competition for Randy Moss to bat aside to get his, get his touches. Which is why I'm mostly surprised they went. he went to the Rams. If we're talking just statistic factor, it's kind of odd. But if we're talking about most likely to win a Super Bowl and be a winner, which is what he said he wanted, he wanted to be on a good team, a winner, he got that. Probably got the best team in the NFL. I know the Cardinals beat them, but if they played again, if they played four more times, do I think would Rams win? Yeah, I think so. But I don't know. That's hypotheticals, so I, I really don't know. But that was crazy. I couldn't believe that happened. I could not believe that. It was kind of, speaking of the Cardinals, that was kind of like when J.J. Watt signed with the Cardinals. That kind of came out of left field, too. Von Miller going to the Rams? Did not think that would happen. Didn't see anything about that. Cam Newton going back to the Panthers? I didn't even think there was a thought of him going back in the NFL whatsoever. And now he's back with the team that drafted him. He won an MVP, Rookie of the Year, led him to a Super Bowl, all that stuff. He's back. It's not the same Cam Newton, but he is back. For these two teams that are playing this week, Rams and Panthers, the Rams are taking on the 49ers on Monday Night Football. That could be a very fun game to watch. 49ers had a, a game pretty much handed to them last week with the announcement of Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins both being out and then lost by double digits to Colt McCoy and James Conner. So that's not great. And the Panthers are playing the aforementioned Cardinals this week. P.J. Walker going up against the Cardinals. Cardinals are a 10.5-point favorite. I have no idea if Kyler Murray's back or not for this game or DeAndre Hopkins is back for this game. Haven't seen anything about it. Granted, I haven't looked up anything really about it either. But yeah, I think the Cardinals would be able to handle the Panthers with how pretty bad they've been playing recently. I think even with Kyler Murray or with Colt McCoy, the Cardinals would have little issues here. Now, I would love to see P.J. Walker ball out because, again, he was the easiest, or the he was easily the best quarterback in the XFL. Easily the best quarterback in the XFL, like by far. So now that we've got him on the Panthers, having a chance to start, granted it's on the road against the best team record-wise in the NFL, could be rough, but I'm excited to see it. Other games we got going on this weekend in the NFL, Bills, Jets, uh, Mike White is starting again for the Jets. He is back. I know he got hurt last week against the Colts. Robert Sala did announce today that Mike White will be starting for the New York Jets, or at least Wednesday. Recently. He announced recently that Mike White will be starting. Does that scare me? A little bit. With how well the Bills have played the past two games? Does it scare me? Yeah. Jets played pretty well the past few games. They've given up a crap ton of points 
but their offense is keeping up somewhat, which is not fun. So I am scared. <laughs> Coming off a loss against a team you're favored by 15 points against, and then the line makers still have the Bills favored by 12. You just you didn't watch the Jaguars game? But lifeless performance, and now they're going back on the road and are favored by 12 again? With how much points the Jets have been scoring recently? Do I think the Bills can win by 12? No. Just based off recency. They, I know they covered the spread against the Dolphins, but they started off playing like trash. They had five first downs in the first half against the Miami Dolphins. They had 11 in the third quarter. Right, they, they kicked it on late, but they never had that against Jacksonville. I hope they don't sleepwalk past the Jets. I hope and pray they do not sleepwalk past the Jets. But then we got other games like the Falcons, Cowboys, Saints, Titans, Jags, Colts, Browns, Patriots could be kind of fun. Bill Belichick versus old team. Then we got the Lions and Steelers, Bucks, Washington football team. Then we've got the Chargers and Vikings, which could be very fun. Then Panthers, Cardinals, like we mentioned, Eagles, Broncos, Seahawks, and Packers. Russell Wilson seems like he's going to be back, which is big for Seattle, even though they were, they did well with Geno Smith as their starter. And then Chiefs, Raiders on Sunday Night Football. And then, like we said before, Rams and 49ers on Monday Night Football. But, man, I am nervous about Bill's Jets. I wasn't nervous about Bill's Jets going into the season. Frankly, I wasn't nervous about Bill's Jets this time last week. But now that we sit here knowing what I know now, knowing that the Bills just lost the Jaguars and how embarrassing that loss was, not just in the score that the fact they lost the Jaguars, a team that had won U.S. soil in 420 days, LOL, and beat them 6-9, LOL. It's the fact that they just didn't care. And the O-line just decided, you know what, we're not going to show up today. Jaguars had more takeaways in that game than they had the entire first seven games combined. They had four takeaways. They had two the entire first seven games. That is ridiculous. That is the worst game I've watched in a very long time. I was very adamant about that. And for those of you who did not know, the Dolphins beat the Ravens. Boring-ass game. Hope you did not waste your time watching that. Good freaking Lord. Uh, Jacoby Brissett started holding his knee, got hurt. Tua goes in, though he's hurt with his hand, had a fracture in his hand, which, if they were smart, Reed Sinnott would be going in right now for the Miami Dolphins, or back then, because I guess it's already finished and over. What, what, keep Reed Sinnott on the team. Don't cut him and take him to the Eagles. The greatest high school quarterback of all time. You cut him and let him go to the freaking Eagles? And Tua, from what it seemed like a fractured hand, played well when he went in. Like, I saw a Bills fan talk about this on Twitter. Brian Flores' handling of Tua is weird, and it is. I gave him the benefit of the doubt as it started because it was like, oh, he's just going to do what it takes to win. But if he has a fractured hand, if he was that good to come in and play anyways, if you're like, okay, if Jacoby gets hurt, Tua's going to go in, why not keep him in? Why not just start him? I don't know. Lamar didn't play great, and I saw a quote. I think it was from Booger McFarland. It said Lamar Jackson's LeBron James the NFL, which I'm guessing by that he means the best player, even though if he's not playing his best, he's just the best player, which he's not. I love Lamar Jackson. You've heard me defend Lamar Jackson a hundred times, hundred thousand times in this show. He's not the LeBron James in the NFL. He's not. I love everything Lamar Jackson does. I love everything Lamar Jackson stands for, but he's not LeBron. Like LeBron is the best player in the NBA, regardless if he wins the MVP or not. Everybody knows that. Lamar's not the best player in the NFL. If we're going positionless, the best player in the NFL 
is Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald is the LeBron James in the NFL. Most dominant player in the NFL. Rarely has an off day. LeBron James, the NFL, cannot have a bad game against the 30th ranked defense in the NFL like this and lose by 12 points. The LeBron James, the NFL, cannot have two back-to-back weeks where you have to come back and win games. Now, I understand he came back and won, but you can't have games where he should have been in that situation anyways. Should the Ravens be that close against the, the freaking Vikings? No. Should they have gotten blown out by the Bengals? No. Should they have gotten a comeback against the Colts? No. They needed a last-second field goal against the Lions? No. An 0-8 Lions team? No. So there, I love Lamar. I love Lamar Jackson. He's one of my favorite players to watch in the NFL. On his day, he is a top-five quarterback. There's not been one time, apart from the year he won the unanimous MVP, that anybody considered him the number one quarterback in the NFL. Because if we want to do just quarterbacks, regardless if he's good or not, it's Patrick Mahomes. That's what it is. Like, I love Lamar. I like Lamar a lot more than Patrick Mahomes. But Lamar, even when he's off or when he's on, he's not the best quarterback in the NFL. He's not the best run. He's not the best player in the NFL. If we're going positionless, it's Aaron Donald. If we're just going quarterbacks, it's Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers. Which, speaking of the Packers, did we talk about who the Packers are playing this week? I don't think I did. Seahawks. So we got Jordan Love versus the Seahawks this week. Back at home, hopefully he does better. Hopefully he does better because, like we said Wednesday, he did not play well. We know he didn't play well. But he does not deserve to be as bashed as he, what he has been. He did not play well at all. But this is a sample of people bashing him more for the fact that the Packers took him in the first place than the actual player himself, which is kind of annoying. But you know what? That happens. And they're professional athletes, so they're going to have to get over it. And Jordan Love, I think we'll get over it. So before we end off today's show, I have a little surprise for you. I have my top 10 players per position in the draft. I've finally done it. So for those of you who are unaware, I didn't I didn't really want to make an announcement about this because I it doesn't I've gotten to the point where it doesn't really matter anymore because I'm just old. It was my birthday today, so I thought it would be fun for I it's not really my birthday edition of Logan. I'm recording it on my birthday, but it's going on the Friday. So I wanted to do something special for that, so I hurried up and typed because I've been working on this for like two weeks now, two, three, almost a month now, I would imagine. And we finally got done, at least to a certain extent to where I think I like it enough to where it's, it's nice. It's very nice. I would be, I am comfortable with this list to a certain extent. The 50, I have a ranking of 50 players in the NFL. That one I'll just rattle off. I don't really want to explain what happens. I'll, I'll explain some of the players on there, but for the most part, it won't be bang, 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 bang. That's how it most, most part it will be like that. <laughs> But also today, or I, when was this? The 10th. So yesterday, November 10th. Mel Kuyper. I searched up Mel Kuyper because I always like to compare and contrast with other people. It's like Mel Kuyper. I'll look up mock drafts, see what other people are thinking of because they have more sources than I do. I can do my scouting and all that stuff, but people have more sources than me. You've got to use your other people and go like, okay, what are they thinking? Now, I like being the odd man out sometimes. It's a really fun feeling to be, <laughs> really fun feeling to have. But I always like to see what he has. And we've made fun of Mel Kuyper before. Made fun of him on a lot of his rankings that we had. Like Kenny Pickett being the number one quarterback in the draft. Tyler Pe- Trevor Penning being a top 10 player. Which I think Trevor Penning's a top 20. 
10 at number nine? I, I don't really think so. I really I don't think that. And he's got some weird ones on here. I'll get, like some very interesting ones, but nothing like asinine. I think I think Kenny Pickett being at number one quarterback is probably that. I think we're just judging off that the fact that he's had a really good season and he kind of shot up out of nowhere. He has more passing touchdowns, more yards. The other guys that we're going to talk about for number one quarterback, but he has Kenny Pickett, Malik Willis, Matt Corral, Desmond Ritter, Sam Howell. That's his top five which is pretty close to my top five. But the guy he had that I have at number five is at number... Or number four is at eight for him in Carson Strong from Nevada. He has Phil Yurkovic on there still, which I took off because of injuries. I don't know if he'll go to the NFL draft this year, so I don't think it's fair to judge him according to that this year. But most for the most part, every quarterback he has on here, I've at least talked about it some capacity this season. He doesn't have Jane Daniels on there anymore, which I'm not really surprised about at this point anymore. Uh, Bailey Zappi from Western Kentucky's on there. I think he leads the nation in passing yards this year. Dustin Crum from Kent State, easily the best quarterback in the MAC conference this year. Other than that, nothing really to talk about in regards to quarterbacks, running backs. Nothing to really talk about there. We'll go over our rant. I don't want to spend a lot of time with Mel Kuyper's thing because. You can look that up yourself on ESPN. We're not going to give that a shit ton of airtime, but the quarterbacks is always very interesting to talk about because I feel like everybody thinks they're an expert on quarterbacks, including myself. Including myself. But here we go. Here's my top 10 players per position in the NFL draft. So quarterbacks, you already know mine. You already know my top 10 because we just released quarterback rankings on Wednesday. So we got Matt Corral, Malik Willis, Kenny Pickett, Carson Strong, Desmond Ritter, Sam Howell, Sam Hartman, Hendon Hooker, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, and Jaden Daniels. That is my top 10. There's other quarterbacks that we mentioned in there. Devin Leary's in there. Jake Hayner is going to be mentioned at the bottom of that list as well. Again, I don't feel comfortable putting Phil Yurkovic on there just because he's hurt. He would definitely be in the top six if not for his injuries because he was on pace to have a very nice season before he broke his hand pretty much. I think it was a broken hand. It was a while. It was after during week two, so I don't really remember that far back. But Bailey Zappi's thrown for a shit ton of yards this year. Dustin Crum, I guess you can throw him up there. Uh, Keel Glass is someone that we've talked about a tiny bit from Alabama A&M. He's someone that could be mentioned up there, FCS guy. Anybody else? Malik Cunningham, Brendan Armstrong could be mentioned. Will Levis. But I understand why he didn't mention those guys, but those are just other quarterbacks that we've talked about this season. But that's my most recent top 10. Running backs, uh, Brees Hall is number one. I think Brees Hall should be number one just because of the fact He's improved as a receiver this year. In previous years for Brees Hall, we haven't really seen him used in the pass game that often, but I'm pretty confident that he is in the top nine in receiving, at least in receptions this season out of running backs. I could be completely wrong about that, but I know he's got a decent number of receptions this year, which is something that he hadn't really done before, but that's what you want to see from him this year was him used in the pass game more, which is what the big thing we, I don't, I don't want to say bashed him on, but the thing we critiqued him on the most was his utilization in the pass game. That's what it was. And then number two, Kenneth Walker. I mean, he's going to win the Heisman, or probably should win the Heisman Trophy this year. He's gone off. Transferred from Wake Forest. Didn't do a lot at Wake Forest, and he's got 15 touchdowns, which is more than he's ever had at Wake Forest. More rushing yards than that. More than basically triple what he had, almost triple what he had at Wake Forest's best years. Yeah, he's just a freaking beast. Kenneth Walker has carried Michigan State's offense this year. He's had multiple games of over 200 yards rushing. He's going to be number number two right behind Brees Hall. Number three, Isaiah Spiller. 
from A&M. Hasn't had, like, an insane year, but is still going to be talked about as one of the better running backs in college football, or one of the best running backs in college football. 873 yards, five touchdowns this season, which is less than both Kenneth Walker and Brees Hall, both over 1,000 yards in the season. So, yeah, we're, we'll keep them down low, or down low, and number three, Kyron Williams, I think, naturally the best receiver in this draft class in regards to running back position. Started off a little slow, started to get a little better as the season's gone on. Been a big leader for Notre Dame this season. I really like him. Number five, Zach Charbonnet from UCLA. He's had a really nice year. UCLA's had one of the best rushing attacks in college football this season, and Charbonnet's been one of the main reasons for that. Very fun running back to watch. Yeah, number number five for him. Then finishing out that, we got Brian Robinson from Bama, Zamir White from Georgia, Chris Rodriguez from Kentucky, who's had a very nice year, then Pierre Strong from South Dakota State, FCS boys, let's go, and then Devontae Price from Florida Atlantic, Tyler Goodson, CJ Verdell from Oregon, he hasn't played a lot recently, and Tyler Allgaier has to be mentioned up there as well. We had him in our preseason rankings, thought it'd be nice to mention him here again. Uh, and Sincere McCormick should be also talked about to a certain extent here, 1,000 yards again. He was second in the nation in rushing yards last year. I think he has to be mentioned in some capacity for running backs. Receivers, number one controversial one, I guess, Traylon Burks. I think his athletic build is just something that separates him from the rest of this class. There's not a receiver in this class that has his blend of size, speed, and athleticism. It's ridiculous. He's bigger than all these receivers tenfold. He's going to blow everybody away at the combine. I think where that's where we'll start to see him blow people away. Statistically, he's not going to blow you away because Arkansas is primarily a run-first offense. And K.J. Jefferson, though a good quarterback, is not always the most accurate, which causes Traylon Burks to make some spectacular catches, which always works well for the highlight film. And then we got number two, Chris Olave, very smooth wide receiver, very fast wide receiver. I've always had Chris Olave as the number one guy of the Ohio State guys. I remember I had them as like one and one. But I always had Chris Olave ranked higher. So like, even though they were equals at a certain extent, I always favored Olave. Number three, we have Drake London, who's put up monster numbers this year because, you know, like we've said, USC is very one-dimensional. Drake London is that one dimension they have. Like Virginia with Brandon Armstrong, Keaton Slovitz only throws to Drake London. Former basketball player. I don't know if he still plays basketball at USC, but he did. Dude's an athlete. 6'5", about 215, I think. Can I point the ball? People were comparing him to the next Mike Evans. We'll see if that comparison holds up. But he's had a good year. He has a bum ankle right now. I think he fractured his ankle, so he should be out for the rest of the season. So, yeah. Maybe they didn't get COVID for the Cal-USC game. They just didn't want to play without Drake London. Uh, number four, Garrett Wilson. Just another silky wide receiver. He's not the fastest, but ever. he just always seems to be open. Don't know how that is, but he always just seems to be open. Jahan Dotson rarely drops a pass. He's had a great year this year for Penn State. Uh, number six, Jamison Williams from Alabama, speedster, burner, burner. Jamison Williams transfer from Ohio State. He has a great had had has had a great year for Alabama this year. Number seven, David Bell. We've seen some monster games from him this year. Most notably against Iowa, and Michigan State, two top five teams, and he's gone off for over two hundred yards. Awesome dude, awesome receiver. We got John Mechie from Alabama, another speedster. Romeo Dubs from Nevada, and Jalen Tolbert. From Alabama, who holds his spot at number 10. He had number 10 preseason, number 10 now. Look at that. That's called consistency from Jalen Tolbert. And then we've got the tight ends. Uh, Jalen Weidermeyer, I think if we're talking about just athleticism, blocking, receiving, all that, I think he's got the complete package there. 
Then we got Trey McBride from Colorado State. I'm trying. I'm, I gotta hurry up and get through this. I'm getting tired now. The the Nyquil is kicking in now. Then we got Jaleel Billingsley from Alabama at three. Cole Turner at four, who's a very good wide receiver from playing from the tight end spot at Nevada. Isaiah Likely from Coastal Carolina. Jeremy Ruckert from Ohio State. Charlie Kohler from Iowa, or Ohio State. Iowa State for Charlie Kohler. Sam Laporta from Iowa at eight. Cade Otten at number nine for Washington. He was preseason ranked fifth. And then number 10, we have Josh Wiley from Cincinnati, Derek DC from San Diego State, San Jose State at number 10. For the offensive tackles, we have Evan Neal, just a freak, six foot six, 340 pounds, play guard, tackle, maybe even center if asked to. He can just play everywhere. That guy that big should not be able to move as well as he does, and he does it effortlessly. Then we got Charles Cross at number two, just insane pass blocking tackle, very athletic as well. Trevor Penning, just a mauler. From UNI at left tackle. Then we got Nicholas Petit Ferrer, who's not allowed a single sack this season at Ohio State. Jackson Kirkland is just a freaking monster, lengthy dude. And we're talking about monsters. Daniel Falele from Minnesota, like 6'9, 400 pounds. This dude's a monster at the tackle position. It's unreal. Abraham Lucas from Washington State comes in at 7. Uh, Kalen Deesh comes in from Arizona State at 9, or Deish, sorry if I pronounced his name wrong. Then we have Rasheed Walker from Penn State at 9. Then Max Mitchell from Louisiana Lafayette and Zion Nelson coming in the bottom part of the list. Gotta take a drink real quick, sorry. Ah, refreshing. Then we go to interior off the lineman. We got Tyler Linderbaum, number one. He's been my number one for a while. Shouldn't be surprised at this point. And then we have a little bit of a switch up. So things can change. We at least our mock draft two weeks ago, right before Halloween, right before we went to the Minnesota Vikings game. So yeah, two weeks ago from today. And I had Kenyon Green going before I came to Conwu. I switched that. Because the more I looked at it, yes, Kenyon Green's very athletic, but I came was just mean. He's a mean SOB. And like Kenyon Green, he can play both guard and tackle. He's been playing left tackle for NC State this year. Can play guard if need be. Awesome. Awesome dude from the interior line. Or D-line. Or, ah, jeez, D-line. We're getting tired. We're, we're running on fumes here. Or outside of the offensive line. Then we got Darion Kennard from Kentucky. Similar to Ike McConwu. Mauler. Beast in the run game as well. Sean Ryan from UCLA. Then we got Zion Johnson from Boston College. Thayer Munford. From Ohio State, Jarrett Patterson, center from Notre Dame, could play all over the offensive line, guard, center, tackle. Like, he's actually, I know we've said that about a few people, like, oh, maybe he could play center. Maybe he could play guard. No, he's played all four, all five positions on the offensive line. Dude can do everything. Then we got Donovan West from Arizona State, and then Jeremy Seiler, Saylor from Georgia, and Alec Lindstrom, a center from Boston College, should also be mentioned as well. Interior D-line, got DeMarvin Leal. We talked about him during the mock draft. He can play everywhere on the D-line. Played multiple snaps on edge, multiple snaps at nose tackle, D tackle, standing outside linebacker. He can go anywhere. He can go anywhere on the D line. Then you got Jordan Davis, who's just a, a freaking mauler, monster, six foot six, three hundred forty pounds. He's like, it should be illegal to be as big as he is. Similar to Evan Neal, similar exact same thing to Evan Neal. Should be illegal. Like he doesn't get a lot of numbers in regards to sacks, but the amount of blockers he takes up is unfair. He just frees up so many lanes for other Georgia players. To make huge plays on defense. Dude is awesome. Then we got Fildarian Mathis. You can never go wrong with an Alabama D-tackle. Or just a defender in general. You can never go wrong with them. Perrion Winfrey from Oklahoma. 
Then we got Travis Jones, the one bright spot for Kentucky, UConn this season. Devontae Wyatt from Georgia. Cameron Thomas from San Diego State. Haskell Garrett from Ohio State. Jermaine Lowell from Arizona State. And then Zachary Carter from Florida. Then we got edge rushers. We got Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon, the number one player in the draft. Athletic freak. Can do everything across the D line. on the edge. Outside linebacker, D-end, whatever. Another athletic freak at two. Aiden Hutchinson, freak. We said going into the season, he was the number two athletic freak in college football right behind Evan Neal, and he's done every bit of that this year. George Kalarftis, Karlaftis from Purdue. Versatile, can play interior D-line, can play outside. He's been a menace for, for society this season at Purdue. Then we had Kingsley and, and Nick Barre from South Carolina, very athletic player out there. Drake Jackson, then we got David Ojabo from Michigan. Mel Kuyper, surprise, I, this was one that I was kind of surprised about. Hold on, I got a spelling error here. This was one I was kind of surprised about, that Mel Kuyper had number 10. Now, he has been good. He has been very nice for Michigan this season. Here's his reasoning for David Ojabu this season. Ojabu's been one of the most impressive newcomers in the country this season. A third-year sophomore who spent his youth in Nigeria and Scotland. Ojabo has eight sacks and four forced fumbles this season, playing on the other side of Aiden Hutchinson. He has flashed advanced pass rush moves. Check out the spin. He has a link to the thing in here for against Indiana. And his athletic traits pop out on tape. While Ojabo needs to work on his all-around game, there's a lot to like. He's still young. He could develop into an elite edge rusher. So you have two edge rushers from Michigan in the top 10. Aiden Hutchinson has been at number five. And he has Ojabo at number 10. I have a number six for edge rushers right now. We have Myjay Sanders from Cincinnati, Nick Benito from Oklahoma, Jermaine Johnson from Florida State, and then Will McDonald from Iowa State at 10. If you noticed, Adam Anderson's not in here. With the recent stuff going on with Adam Anderson off the field, we're not going to have him in this rankings. We have a little asterisk here. He would definitely be in the top 10. Top 10 player, but we'll keep him off for right now due to all the off-field issues. You can go look that up for yourself if you are unaware of what's going on with Adam Anderson at this point in time. Linebackers, Devin Lloyd. Then we got Nicobe Dean from Georgia to do everything linebackers for their defense. Christian Harris is a stereotypical, stocky Alabama linebacker. Brandon Smith can play outside or inside. Then we got Channing Tiddle from Georgia, another really good linebacker from them. Jack Campbell from Iowa just making every play on defense from Cedar Falls. You know, those Cedar Falls boys be strong there. Beautiful. playing, Making plays all over the field for Iowa. Henry Toa from Alabama at number seven. DeMarvin Overshone. DeMarvian Overshone, I'm sorry, at number eight from Texas. A really long linebacker. Really, really long. Number nine, Mike Rose. Make plays everywhere. And then number 10, Ventral Miller from Florida. Then we got corners. Jeez, sorry about this. I'm very sorry. <laughs> very garlicky, very pasty dinner tonight. Uh, number one, Derek Stanley. I mean, no real surprises there. Uh, Kyer Elam at number two. Ahmad Gardner at three. Sauce Gardner at three. Andrew Booth at number four, Trent McDuffie at five, Roger McCreary at six from Auburn, Josh Job at Alabama at number seven. Then we had Darion Kendrick from Georgia at eight, Martin Emerson from Mississippi State at nine, and then Travius Hodges, Tomlinson from TCU, and Michael Wright. And just for fun, I threw Riley Moss at the end of it as well from Iowa to get the white corners back in some some sort of list. And then safeties, we have Kyle Hamilton, Daxton Hill. Jordan Battle from Alabama, Jaquan Brisker from Penn State at four, Brandon Joseph, the free safety from Northwestern at five, Jalen Catalan 
from Arkansas at six. Lewis Sign from Georgia at number seven. Verone McKinley from Oregon at eight. Damani Richardson from AM at number nine. And Nick Cross from Maryland at number 10. So if you go through this list, and it's not that long of a read, it's four minutes long to read the entire thing, and we haven't even gotten to the top 50 players yet. And you know some names are in bold. If you're scrolling down the list and see that, that's because they're in the top 50 players in the draft. And if you see a little number by their name or a little parentheses by their name with a number inside or NA, that means they were that's where their rank was the preseason or they weren't ranked in the preseason NA, non-applicable. They were not in there at all. So that's what we've got for you for the rankings, for the position players. Here's the top 50 players for you on this list. Let me take another sip real quick. This is just going to be really fast. So number one, and it's Kayvon Thibodeau. Number two, I have Kyle Hamilton. I think his versatility in regards to being a safety and how big he is is just insane. Like, you look how much he moves, how well he moves around the secondary, whether he's up as a free safety, as a center fielder, or he's up against the line of scrimmage making plays in the run game or rushing the quarterback. That dude can do everything. Number three, we have Evan Neal. Monster, monster, monster at left tackle or right tackle or guard. Number five, or number four, sorry, we have, hold on real quick. I might, I think, I might, I want to adjust this. I might want to adjust this. No, no, we're going to keep it at number four. Aiden Hutchinson at number four. He has made so many plays for Michigan this year. He leads the nation in pressures this year of getting rid of the quarterback. Just a freak coming off the edge for the Wolverines. Number five, Derek Stingley. Could be higher. I think his ceiling is probably one of the highest in this draft, but he hasn't really played that much. So we're going to keep him at number five. Could be higher than this. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, he is definitely number five. He could be lower. But he could. He could also be a lot higher, too. And then we have DeMarvin Leo at six, or Lee or What did I hear the other day? Leal? I always just thought it was Leal. If I'm pronouncing it wrong, I apologize. Then we have number seven, Tyler Lindebaum from Iowa, the center. Charles Cross from Mississippi State at number eight. Matt Corral at nine. And then Malik Willis at number 10. And then we have Jordan Davis at 11. Ike McConwu at number 12. Kenyon Green, 13. Again, like we talked about, athletic ability versus mauling. You can rotate those two as much as you want to Conwu and Green. 14, Kalarftis. Karlaftis, good lord. Then we have Traylon Burks at 15. Chris Olave at 16. Then we have Devin Lloyd, and followed by Nakobe Dean at 17 and 18. Kyrie Lim at 19. Drake London and Garrett Wilson at 20 and 21. Then we have Trevor Penning from UNI. Then Amon Gardner and Andrew Booth following each other at 23 and 24. Nicholas petit Frere at number 25. Number 26, we have Kingsley Ngabare at number 26. 27 is Christian Harris, followed by Drake Jackson, Darian Kennard, and Jahan Dotson at 30. 31 to 40 reads Kenny Pickett, Jamison Williams, David Ojabo. Then we have Trent McDuffie, Carson Strong, Roger McCreary, Myjay Sanders, Daxton Hill, Brandon Smith, and Jalen Weidermeyer. And then 41 through 50, we have Brees Hall, Jordan Battle, Desmond Rear, Kenneth Walker, David Bell, Jaquan Brisker, Isaiah Spiller, Sean Ryan, Trey McBride, and Kyron Williams. So that is what we've got for you on this Friday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. I hope you enjoyed. Make sure to go through the blog post and see the list and all that. Give it a nice little heart if you could do that. Go and make sure, again, you're following me on all forms of social media. That's where you'll see the link to all of this stuff. If you want to, if not, that's completely your opinion. You can do that as well. But I hope you go and make the right decision and do that. 
You can also go and look at the previous rankings, the preseason rankings. They're all on the Logan Blackman Show's official website, theloganblackmanshow.com. Just put that into your search bar and go to the blog section. You'll see preseason draft rankings for offense, for defense, and then you'll have a top 50 players list. We did three total blogs for that instead of one for this one. Then you have a mock draft in the preseason. You got all the the 10 weeks of the quarterback prospect rankings. You got a mock draft that we did two weeks ago like we talked about earlier. You got all that stuff on the Logan Blackman Show website. And again, you can go listen to the podcast through the website as well. Just search theloganblackmanshow.com. I hope you have a fun weekend. I hope you sit and watch some good football. If not, I mean, you can do what I did last week. Watch Iowa take barely beat Northwestern and the Bills lose the Jaguars. But hey, it's going to be a fun weekend. We got rivalry week. Bills playing the Jets. Screw the Jets. Hawks playing the Gophers. Screw the Gophers. I guess we didn't even talk about the UNI Panthers, but they're taking on Missouri State this week. Tough game. Very, very tough game. Missouri State's been one of the... I guess you could call them a surprise this season because they haven't been very good recently at all. They're 6-3 and three right now. That being said, they have lost three weeks ago. <laughs> I don't even know why I said that. But they did come off a very impressive win against Southern Illinois. Beat them by 10 on the road. Their last loss coming against on October 23rd against Northern, geez, North Dakota State. Every word just merging together right now. Hopefully you and I has a whole lot better game than they had last week against Illinois State because that was garbage. Good Lord. You come off back-to-back dubs against two top 10 teams and you go to Illinois State, one of the worst teams in the Missouri Valley Conference this season, and lose, not only lose, lose in overtime and be down for every portion of the game, I believe. I didn't watch it. I apologize for that. And yes, they were anyways, so doesn't matter. I watched a little bit of it. I did not watch enough. I was watching, sadly, Arkansas versus Mississippi State. <laughs> sadly, school spirit did not shine through, but I was upset when you and I did end up losing that game. Because on ESPN+, Plus, I was at Smash Park. I Forgive me on that one. I'm sorry. But that's all I've got for you today. I hope you enjoyed the show. If not, again, I can only apologize. We'll do better next time. At least attempt to make sure you go look at the blog post as well. And I will see you all later. Peace.